0: Hi, I'm Rob Sadow, and you're listening to the Flex Perspectives podcast, where we interview the world's best thinkers, researchers, and operators on how to make flexible work work. Flex Perspectives is brought to you by Flex Index, the world's most robust source for full-time hybrid and remote work requirements. Flex Index represents more than 8,000 companies, 60,000 office locations, and 100 million people. It's a great place to start if you're looking for your next flexible work career opportunity. Today, my guest is Don Mitchell. Don is a chief people officer at HackerOne, the global leader in human powered security, and a board member at Happily. Don has led the effort and implementation of HackerOne's digital first approach to work. In this episode, we dive into how to get your executive team aligned around your flexible work model, the importance of the relationship between the chief people officer and the CFO in implementing your approach, and why it's important to be polite but firm in expectations around how your company works and communicates. If you enjoy this podcast, please help us out by subscribing and giving us a rating helps us understand what episodes our listeners find most valuable and helps new listeners find the podcast. Don, I'm so excited for you to be here.
1: I'm super pumped to be here. One of my favorite topics today.
0: Awesome. Uh, so Don, you have such an interesting history. You're Chief People Officer at HackerOne, uh, you're board member at Happily. Um, you've done a lot of interesting stuff in HR over time. How'd you get into HR in the first place?
1: Um, by a great mentor. It was not my plan. I did study it as an undergrad at NC State. And then I got an internship in it. And I thought, Oh, the only thing I like is recruiting in HR. Um, and then I started to gravitate towards the branding aspect of it because the talent market was so crazy. And then you're branding something. So you want to make sure employees are actually experiencing it. And then it kind of snowballed. Um, and I got to see through, uh, a mentor, what a creative approach to HR looked like that piqued my interest.
0: Got it. And and what did a creative approach to HR look like? How did that evolve? Um,
1: you know, being able to be a seat at the table. I hate that phrase, but it's true. That was then. I don't think that's the case now. Um,
0: really, HR really has evolved in that way, by the way. Like that used to be a term that people threw around all the time in terms of the seat at the table.
1: But it was a change from who I worked with to at one point to the other person. And um, that you're selling, the sales aspect. It's not a policing role. It's a creative selling when you're working in a tight labor market you've got to keep people engaged and working in the world of tech there's just so many interesting opportunities so it snowballed and um here i am today
0: and so when you say here you are you're at hacker (laughs) one um (laughs) tell me a little bit about how you found the company what made it interesting to you like set the set the stage a little bit in terms of how you got there
1: so a recruiter reached out, be super honest. I knew of HackerOne, though, because my previous employer was a client and I had worked with our CISOs, so I was familiar with the company. And I knew I would move on at some point just because I had been promoted into the role there. I wanted to do it somewhere else. And I had a couple things. I wanted to work with a CEO who had been in seat at another company as a CEO before. For my learning, I thought that would be valuable. I did a lot of founder models. I wanted a mission-driven company because when you're selling... That's a whole other ballgame and it's so much fun to play in. And I wanted the company to be digital first. And I got on the phone with Martin
0: and the rest is history. Got it. And I imagine some of our listeners are probably very familiar with Hacker One, or probably even customers of yours. Some may not be familiar with the company at all. So for folks who may not be, uh, what does Hacker One do? Give me a sense of the scale of it. How long has yeah. it been operating? Some of that kind of stuff.
1: 10 years. We are the global leader in human powered security. So our solutions take human ingenuity and skill with AI, and we outmatch cyber criminals to reduce cyber security risk for our customers. So we're working with Goldman Sachs, Hyatt, US Department of Defense, and this is through a platform that gives customers access to a huge global community of ethical hackers.
0: What a brilliant bit of marketing, that uh, branding, that human powered security, by the way, that is a, I, that is very clever.
1: Thanks, I did not, I will pass the praise along to someone else.
0: Yeah, please do, I think that's great, it's awesome. Oh, good. More uh, about 400 employees. 400 across employees. 15 countries. Got it. Is any particular area where there's a lot of concentration or is it pretty spread out across countries?
1: Uh, like 60% U.S., 40% to me and APAC, but uh, n- not a significant consolidation in one location.
0: Got it. And you said that one of the big things that was attractive to you was the digital first yep. approach. And, and so maybe two questions on that. One, why was that so interesting to you? Is there something about your background or the way you work or something like that? And, and was there something specifically about how Hacker One was doing it or thinking about it that made that attractive?
1: I I had a moment in COVID when I realized what I had missed with my first child, having my second. And it was possible. I was doing my job. It was effective. And I also had a uh, interaction with Darren Murph, who I think you've had on the podcast before.
0: Darren is wonderful. He's yeah. great.
1: And just kind of the, the aha moment of the world is changing the way youth is growing up. Technology enables things that it did not before. And I was hitting a wall at my last company, with the desire to really lean in, because I do think you have to be in or out um, and so the kind of, I think you asked me the why on Hacker One Digital First, the CEO has to believe in it. it. It has to happen. Like they have to believe in it bullishly to set the stage, to galvanize, to set the right systems in place. And that came across very clearly with Martin.
0: So I have to ask, because I think I mentioned this to you before, but I've got two kids, I'm you know, a little bit younger, right? One's mm-hmm. two, one's four months. You talked about the experience of the pandemic was different yeah. for you with the yeah. second. What was it in particular that kind of like flipped a switch in the way you thought about it?
1: I mean, I, so I'm in the DC area, which is, was very bad traffic. And I missed putting kids to bed. I missed dinner. I missed all those moments. And I was still doing my job as well, if not better. And I, my priorities kind of shifted. This notion of culture isn't in, in my opinion, isn't in an office and food and t-shirts It's doing meaningful work, having meaningful connections, but the priority is family. And I wanted to find an environment where I could still do interesting work with amazing, talented people, but be with my family more consistently.
0: You know, it's so interesting the way you say that, because my kids were, you know, one is very recent, right? And one was born right in the middle of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I have no basis of comparison, right? I have no idea what parenting would feel like in a different context. Yeah. Um, And so... I've grown up with, uh, or I've grown up as a parent, I guess, with I see my kids at home during the day. If I like go down for lunch, I say hi for a second. And they're two minute interactions, but they're really valuable interactions over time. And I I can imagine the juxtaposition of those two experiences uh, would be pretty meaningful.
1: Yeah, it was jarring. Just having those moments of, well, I miss this, I miss that. And it was not easy. It was super, super tough and they were in daycare. But the time you get back, those two hours a day, it's a lot, of, a lot of time and time is not something you can buy. So
0: and I think the pandemic in some ways was way it was a, a big realization or aha moment for folks in that regard. One of the things I think about a lot and, you know, in that respect is, yeah, I think we used to have a lot of confidence that things that were going to be available for us in the future were definitely going to be there mm-hmm. and the pandemic kind of. It took away that trip you thought was going to be there, or that thing you were going to do in three months. All of a sudden yeah. it couldn't. It changed your relationship with time and certainty of the future, I feel like, quite a bit.
1: Yeah, and superficial things. Um, it just kind of boiled it down. I mean, there was a fear factor at the beginning as well. And, but yeah, that, that kind of context of time shifting very much, I think, impacted a lot of people.
0: So how did, when you were talking to Hacker One and mm-hmm. you know, the recruiter reaches out and you're thinking about the role, you talked to Martin, he excited about Digital First, how did he explain it to you? What did Digital First mean to him?
1: Yeah, um, that's so it, very specific on Digital First, not Remote First, be, because I think it's going to ebb and flow based on how the company grows. The reason behind Digital First is... It doesn't matter where you sit. Not everybody can afford to work from home and have the quiet luxuries, right? They might be in an apartment with other friends. Um, They may be extroverted and need to be around other people to enjoy their job. But the notion that we are a digital first organization is we can do our work digitally. The the work itself can be done. As a company, we spend time on making meaningful connections in person because you have to have that in the mix. But the idea that no matter where you're at, if you have your laptop, you are working, that's
0: where work is. And did it have, It was it more oriented around the idea of it being a tech company and as a result, kind of like everyone is digital literate, works at a computer, or is it around a center of gravity in the language around remote versus others? Like what was the real impetus or kind of inspiration around
1: that? Yeah, center of gravity around um, the word digital, right? Because this notion of being remote is you're detached Right? You're detached from something, but you're not. We live in a digital world. Like that that's how we connect with loved ones that aren't close to us. And so remote just didn't feel quite right. And at the time we had a couple offices. Um, but being digital first means you can be in an office with coworkers, but the work has to flow digitally so that the whole global network of employees can participate.
0: Kind of, In some ways, it's like a level playing field, if I understand correctly, like a connectedness at the same level. Is that right?
1: That's exactly right. Um, You've got to be able to have information at the ready for your peers to carry the ball forward on whatever that initiative is. Um, And so breaking the cycles of, well, the person's right next to me, I can pass it along to them and really centering your world digitally
0: you know it strikes me there's so there's so much discussion and debate about remote work and mm-hmm. in office work versus remote work and there really is that little bit of you know implicit bias in the language of remote and the idea that it's almost like in, if you're in remote you're in orbit around some central body that you're not part of and you're yeah. calling into that the language kind of like implies and people just may not think of it that way every day but it kind of is there subtly
1: yeah, it does have a little bit of a bias to it. Um, and I actually debated that because my head went a bit branding, right? Everyone's using remote first. We know what remote is. And we had a couple really interesting conversations around it. And I started to shift my thinking. And we can be a front runner in the concept. And remote really does carry that stigma to it. And we've got to lean into the future.
0: You know, it's funny. It's part of why, you know, in FlexSyndex, when we were thinking about the right uh, taxonomy of company office requirements, so to speak. Cause mm-hmm. that was like one of the first major challenges we had was like, okay, well, wh- how do you actually bucket these different groupings, so to speak, yeah. so you can compare like for like. And instead of rem- uh, remote first, we went with employee's choice, um, which was employee has the choice to go into an office or not if it's available uh, yeah. to try and like get away a little bit from this, you know, uh, location specific or kind of like anchoring, you know, yeah. in terms of the approach. Yeah, oh, I like that employee choice. Uh, So tell me a little bit about the evolution of this at HackerOne, because it sounds like if I understood correctly, there were offices maybe at some point in time. So it sounds like it may have shifted uh, or evolved in some way.
1: Yeah. So the company was more distributed around its inception, but COVID created an opportunity for the executive team at the time to capitalize on it. I came in 2022. I get my math right there. It feels...
0: In a good way, feels Two like. years ago meaning 2022, by the way, is like kind of-
1: Yeah, so that, I think that tracks actually. So this, the idea to become digital first was a shift over time. It was a decision made with the start of COVID, but they were distributed prior to me joining. And it was, I don't wanna put this all on Martin because it's so much more than that, but I do think it's critical. And I've had conversations with peers in the industry when you're struggling with leadership um, to really make that shift. Uh, We did crowdsource it, though. started with an employee manifesto. So what would that mean to employees? What changes in behavior? What changes operationally? And that got a lot of employees excited about the concept and rallied behind this ownership, right? We are a digital first company. And we did slowly pull back on offices. The usage wasn't there. We've leaned heavily into WeWork All Access, that idea that we're digital first, which means there's some element of choice. Some people need to be in a different space than their home. So it was an intention from the top. It was buy-in with the executive team. It was employee um, supported and celebrated. And now we're working towards maturing it a little bit. I think that's the stage that we're at right now, right? It's digital first is not a perk. It's an operating plan. And I heard that from someone. So credit to whomever pass that through, but that's the model I'm taking into this fiscal year for the company to
0: really mature our digital first approach. So I have to imagine that was a pretty big cultural shift, you yeah. know, and, and and most companies went through a cultural shift as part of the pandemic. You kind of had to, right? But there must have been employees who were excited about that idea. There are probably other folks who were like a little bit reticent or uncomfortable with the idea. And Maybe to your point, they're the more extroverted, like they get. Mm-hmm. And so how did you navigate the different potential pockets of, of sentiment and and kind of get everyone the line around you know how to think about this at HackerOne?
1: Oh, that's a great question. If I'm being honest, it was a decision and then there is the support or there isn't. It does not work for everybody. I do think there was an interim period where it was decided, but not clearly understood what that meant from a day to day. And It might have caused some employees frustration. And I think since that time, employees have left, right? This, we need to be bold enough in who we are from an employer value prop to say, this is digital first, hacker one, you're in or you're out. Um, But we had back and forth on office usage. We had back and forth on communications internally, but our culture is very open. One of our values is default to disclosure. So the way we worked through it was openly as a company through our various Slack channels, through our all hands. But the decision was firm. So we're digital first, and this is how you engage. And if it's not for you, we understand.
0: You know, I think there's something really important about that, Don. I, I really do because I think one of the things that I'll kind of I'll, I'll draw a comparison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People talk about values a lot, and and I remember going through the exercise the very first time of thinking about how our values at Scoop and kind of like how we do that with our company. And one of the things that someone who's a mentor of mine said to me is values, if your values are the same as every other company's values, then they're not your values. Like that's not, they need to be things that are unique to you or kind of like specific to you that people can opt their way into or not and be like, this aligns with me or not. And whether it's digital first or full-time in office or any manner in between, mm-hmm. I think there's something important about putting that stake in the ground, you know, and saying, this is yeah. who we are and we're okay. going to invest in transition and enablement to get there, mm-hmm. but it's okay if it's not for you, right? And that's a, that's a shift and you can call it such.
1: It is. This is my recruiting days coming back and it's what launched me into HR, but you want to attract the people that are bought into who you are as a business because that's going to create the highest amount of engagement, the highest amount of output. And you've got to, be confident uh in that and i I love when companies are bold we are this we're not this even more so right a lot of people just tell what they are and so they have to figure out what they aren't i love it when they say well and we're not this
0: yeah totally it's like it's like we have we have These are our goals and these are not our goals, Mm -hmm. like that kind of explicit language. So it it sounds like there's a bit of a teething process around this. And so what were some of the things that you found you got right at the beginning? What didn't work? How did you have to evolve it? And and part of why I'm asking is because Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of companies that are still in that space and Mm -hmm. are trying to think through, uh, okay, we we know top down or a million feet, we want to be... X model in terms of the way we operate. Yeah. But the idea of what it means to be that model conceptually, and then to operationalize that and get everyone on the same page is you know, two very different things.
1: Yeah. Honestly, we're still working through aspects of it. So I think it starts with an executive team commitment. So I'll note the CEO, but the whole E-team has to embody it and embody it so much that they change their practices of engaging with their team. Um, You know, they're not pushing certain conversations to be in-person because they're more productive, but educating themselves on the ways to do it in a digital-first manner. And then if you're digital-first, what is the space for offices? Are you funding them with snacks? Like, it it sounds silly, but you get this inequity across the organization that causes a tremendous amount of frustration, the haves and have-nots. And so making a commitment from dollars spend, internal comms channels, what does celebration mean? And we're halfway through aspects of that, we're working through others. Um, The office one was an interesting one for us to go through because we had an office in San Francisco where a handful of the executives were located and I think there was some nostalgia to it, but we tried to take a really data-driven approach, take your emotions out of it, who's using it. Um, And when we leaned into WeWork All Access, We see people using it more than they were the office because there's intention behind it, right? I'm not just, I don't have a place to go that I could go once a week, but no one's there. I'm intentionally getting
0: together with coworkers. Were there execs who weren't on board when you had the conversation originally in terms of where you're going?
1: Yeah, I think there was a struggle for some um, to really operationalize it, right? To not default to the previous behaviors. I need to be in person for this. I need to be in person for that. And there's absolutely that, but there has to be alignment um, and I've done a lot of work with our CFO to really build that alignment because the dollars support certain behaviors. So if you really structure and limit the dollars and policies, it forces uh, a new
0: approach to things. So a couple more questions on execs. I'm very curious about this uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like how that conversation gets it kind of plays out in practice. Like yeah. were, were there folks who felt so strongly about it that they're like, look, I can't disagree and commit, so to speak, but I'm I'm out like this is not my thing or did everyone kind of like get there through enough discussion and alignment?
1: Yeah, it, there was not that, um, they got there through, they got there or they didn't through discussion alignment. Right. Because I think you want to, at that level, the weight of the role, the way you need to represent that company, you've got to be in or not. Um, And it was, in my first year, it was a pretty healthy discussion because what was coming to me in my role is the inequity, right? The, this person has that, that person has that. And I'm like, okay, but if we want to boldly say to the market, we're this, why does this person have X amount of travel budget and you're doing this? Mm. And so just surfacing those differences, um, default to disclosure, we're really, really direct. And that created alignment towards the end on what this means.
0: Were there executives that once the policy or kind of like the point of view is created, were still like, you know, I kind of want my people to come in more and we're kind of like you know kind of like maybe softly or in, in nudging them to do that? Did you have to do any kind of like correcting, so to speak, or to, in terms of like the actual behaviors of it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say kind of step one was the, this is what we are. This is what we aren't. Step two was, okay, we committed to this, but this is still happening. And then um, it really came together with the CFO and I, like, let's just make this clear across the board. This is how we spend. This is how we don't, these are the approvals that have to happen. Um, you know, the environment that everyone's in with the economy right now helps, right? We're taking a closer look at the dollars. I think everybody is, um, but it was a process.
0: So I'm guessing a bunch of organizations and people who listen to this are probably a similar space, right? Mm -hmm. Where there's some interest in like that relationship or the conversation between a a people leader Mm -hmm. and a financial leader and Mm -hmm. what that conversation looks like. Mm -hmm. So can you go a little more in depth? You were talking about what you spend on, but In practice, it sounds like there was a part of that that's office and maybe a part of it that's travel and a part of it that's other stuff. Like, how did you go through that conversation? Who else was involved? Like, how did it roll out? I'd love to get into more detail on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, thankfully, Jason, our CFO and I are very aligned on digital first. And it was me sharing, my model is I have one-on-ones with the E-team every week, and I think, it's important to share aspects of your world and really help peers understand the impact of decisions, not just within their department, but across the organization. Because as executives, we are responsible for the company as a whole. And so it started with a lot of conversations around this decision is causing this behavior. And then in looking at our dollars, we did have a riff in August and really being mindful of our spend so we can sustain and grow it was an opportunity to change behaviors. And so we talked in detail about what systems can we put in place. So if any employee wants to travel, they're gonna have to go through a really tight process where they have to justify an X amount of people have to sign off. We made it intentionally challenging. And then he and I went together to E-team and we said, this is the process. This is why we had a discussion and we built alignment there. And then we took it down through our extended leadership team. And that decision was made for other reasons, but I do think the impact on the operating model of digital first is a positive one. There's more justification for when we get together. Because um, the other disconnect we were having is if you've got an executive who really believes in person, yet you're selling an IC three levels down on this digital first experience, it's like, well, I don't understand. I, I think thought...
0: lots of companies are there right yeah. now.
1: Yeah. it's And it's it's a constant thing. It, it's not something... I think that's ever going to be perfect because if you think about the age of most executives, you grew up in an office, you made your connections in the office. Like you think, well, how can an employee get to this stage if they want without having that experience? So you've got to shed what was and really lean into
0: what's to come. That's hard. So I'm... I'm guessing a bunch of the people who are listening would like to build that relationship between people and finance, for example, Mm -hmm. Uh, for folks who maybe are thinking about this topic Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, I really, I really should have that conversation or kind of how, how would you suggest going down that path or building that or even getting started on that process to say, Hey, let's make sure that the way we're spending our dollars is aligned with what we're saying policy-wise. And therefore it feels pretty airtight on the, on the approach.
1: Oh, um, gosh, I wish I had a specific formula for it. I, guess, I think what I'm going to go to is the basics around trust and role clarity and shared goals. As an executive team, we've leaned into a concept called Team One, where um, it's five dysfunctions of a team. Pat Lencioni, he's got a follow-on book, The Advantage. We've leaned in to that concept. And so there's just a level of trust and understanding between he and I on the roles how the roles impact the outcome that we'd like as a company and a very open line of communication. I don't know if I have a recipe better than that. Data always helps. Examples are wonderful and they illuminate a lot of issues, Um, but it's that flow of communication and clarity of role and outcome.
0: Got it. Makes a ton of sense. So as you embedded some of the, so it sounds like first and foremost, uh, alignment on point of view as an executive team. Yeah. Here's how we're thinking about it. This is why, this is who mm-hmm. we want to be. Second, okay, let's actually put teeth against this and make sure that we're aligned in the way we're talking about this with our practices, the way we're spending. Mm-hmm. Um, as you started to embed that, mm-hmm. what are some things that you changed or implemented practice-wise that really worked and helped? And are there things that you tried or have, have kind of like worked your way into that you're like, well, this, this isn't quite working or we still have some work to do in terms of like, how do we get this piece of it to, to fit?
1: I think that the dollars and policies has been great. Like it's just allowed for a framework that we want there to be flexibility, but there's guardrails so that we minimize the silly noise and everyone's having a consistent experience. Where I think we have some growth is the tech aspect of it. Um, The natural tech sprawl you have as any company, but if you're digital first, email, Slack channels, intranet, and we've got some exciting things that we're focused on for this coming fiscal year to really grab a hold of that because that was also a bit of an obstacle at the executive level. I like to communicate this way and this is what I think is best and that's what I think is best. But when you're distributed 400 employees, 15 countries, you can't have as much optionality if you want information to flow correctly. And it took us a little bit longer to get there, um, but I'm excited about that.
0: So is it, is it tighter guardrails around... Um, software purchase? Or is it kind of like trying to consolidate software stack into like fewer tools used more widely for consistency or something else?
1: Newer tools used more widely, but more the usage of those tools. And specifically, I'm talking about the communication aspect, the information finding. So what is email for at HackerOne? What is Slack for? What is our company intranet for? When would you expect to receive a comms like this? Where would you find this information? Um, seeding elements of culture into those tools, ensuring that executives communicate consistently so you can't have you know one choosing email as their jam, one choosing Slack, because then you waste all this time trying to capture information. Um, and it came through actually in our engagement survey and a working group with some of our leadership that highlighted the need to have much more structure around our comms.
0: It's super interesting because my guess is that there's probably some folks who would listen and think, okay, it seems very detailed or pedantic, you know? And but in but in practice, I think it's actually extremely important, right? Because yes. clarity solves a lot of problems. And even if folks are like, well, I don't really like using Slack that way. I like using email that way, I'd be like, you know what? That's not how we do it here. And that way everybody has consistent expectation on approach. And hundred percent
1: correct. Martin, our CEO, is a creative and loves to innovate. and you can still innovate in a structured communication channel. It the benefits outweigh the negatives. And it I think the concern people have is that doesn't feel authentic. That doesn't feel in the moment. that doesn't matter. <laughs> what matters is the content and the consistency and this notion of being chief reminding officers to continue to keep people focused and excited about the key priorities. So we have an editorial plan behind the scenes. We try to keep it fresh for employees, but I do think structure is super critical. And that would be the case in a digital first company or
0: office space, especially
1: when you start to go from HQ to satellite, but super critical digital
0: first. I love that chief reminding officer term, by the way. I think that's hysterical.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, that one's taken a minute for us to figure out, like, what does that mean in practice? You say, oh yeah, I'm a chief reminding officer. The notion you have to say things, I don't know, 10, 15 times. But then you start to feel like, oh, I'm...
0: I'm boring, I'm- You feel you know, stale, right? You You're like, stale. I feel like I've said this 12 times, even though people are looking at me like it's new news, right?
1: But you have to say it and you kind of have to say it in the same way. And we've got different languages. So it's, um, that's one that we're still working on, but the feedback from our employees was the turning point in getting the executive team to understand. Now we're embarking on this journey. We've got an, um, I have an amazing um, internal comms employer brand lead that we can lean into her expertise but there's a commitment there that we're going to do this because it's showing up in our engagement survey and it's having an impact on productivity. Yeah,
0: makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Are there things today that you think of and you're like, look, we're doing this, but it's broken. Like this thing doesn't work or in um, one of my priorities for fiscal 24, for example, is like we got to get better at this because the way we do it today just isn't, isn't going to cut it when it comes to digital first.
1: Um, you know, Aside from the communication, there is a technical aspect back to this that i don't think we've figured out yet and what i mean is i'd like we need more innovation on the it side right our systems need to work for us what where do we slim down where do we integrate tools so that they're automatically updating and how do we think about our technology like an office and empower and enable it enable it so we haven't cracked that yet our focus at the moment is on communication because i do think Mistake I made coming in with digital first, boil the ocean, right? We're digital first, we're going to do all the things. We got to take it piece by piece. First piece with executive alignment, budget alignment, and now we're in the comms phase. And I think that'll get us to the tech phase.
0: Yep, that makes perfect sense. And, and when you think about the tech phase, is it around, uh, is, it, is it like consistency of how information flows or is it like, well, what aspects, I guess, of an office do you feel like you're trying to reproduce or don't feel like you've got the same around that you that you imagine that you could solve technically?
1: This is, I think it's, I don't know. And that's, what's interesting about this one. I know that there are tools that we don't even know about yet that are in beginner stages that would build culture connections that would allow for flow of information better. And it could just be as simple as we need to move to this platform because it integrates with this core platform. And then that information won't need to have so much manual effort behind it to flow but I, I'd like to think that technology is gonna continue to innovate the more companies are digital first. So it's it's a question mark. And I want a partner in that. I want somebody who's geeking out on the topic and looking at different things. Cause that's not my, my expertise doesn't sit there.
0: Got it. So, so it's, in some ways it's almost like a feeling even at this point, you're like, I know that there's more there, like that there's better, but yeah. you know, it's not, it's, it's not the priority today but maybe tomorrow in terms yes. of how to look at it. That's right. Yeah. Got it. Um, what else is on your kind of like roadmap or horizon when you think about digital first? Like, if you imagine, you know, what you think scales or doesn't scale, or what challenges you imagine you might run into on the horizon? Like, is there anything else on your long range plan that you're like, I'm excited to play with this or worried about that?
1: Yeah, I I think I want to be honest on the conversation internally, and that does it work for every role? So we have we had a bit of a spread in hiring. There wasn't a a thought process. There was, but it wasn't a holistic thought process on where we put talent. And maybe some roles need to be co-located. That doesn't mean we need an office, but maybe there's value in some roles having an opportunity to get together once a week. And we have been so bullish and proud of Digital First. I don't think that goes against our um, decision to be that, but I think we need to be flexible as we scale because the learning opportunities... We don't have interns. What does that look like in a digital first? I know some companies do. I don't think we have the resources yet. And so this hub model is one that I think will bristle the digital first, but it's a real conversation we need to have.
0: Got it. And, and do you envision that you could solve that through things like off-sites or is it more uh, trying to be more mindful of hiring in particular locations, in particular functions? Is that what it is?
1: Yeah, more around hiring and locations. Like what roles really would value from it? As we look at productivity, Is it worth us making a concerted effort to put a group of people in a particular region so they can have those connection opportunities? Um, We do value in-person. Our mantra is digital first, not digital only. That's a dollars element as well, right? At this point of size and scale, you've got to have the funds um, and want to spend the funds in that way. We had an amazing kickoff last year. We intend to do it again, but we're being cautious as a lot of people Did you
0: bring everyone together for that?
1: We did in Disney World.
0: Oh, that's awesome. How'd it, was, it go? It
1: was amazing. It was amazing. And we took a 50-50 approach, 50% business, but then the other 50% of the time was connection. And um, our intention is to do that as often as we can. And then we do that in subsets. We'll do that within departments and sub teams. We align budget in a more equitable way so that everyone gets an opportunity to connect in person at some
0: point throughout the year. So if you were, if you were speaking to... Uh... Your chief people officers, other executives who are earlier in this process and mm-hmm. thinking about what they're like, okay, we think our organization is going to be digital first, or that's mm-hmm. kind of the way we we've talked about it, but maybe we haven't gone quite as far down the, the path. Are there any immediate things that you would suggest they do? Or if you had to kind of like paint a roadmap, what are the first few things you'd be like, Hey, you should really start investing in these areas based on my experience to kind of like set yourself mm-hmm. up for success?
1: I had a lot of research and reading and what it actually means. There's some great experts out there called Darren does consulting. Um, I think he's really thoughtful on how he conveys the change in the mindset um, that you need to have as you think about that. I, I think part of why it's worked for us without a lot of the guardrails up until now is having an internal comms employee experience person I think most companies at a certain size kind of grow into that as you start to compete for talent, whether that sits in HR or recruiting or sometimes in marketing. At a company of 400 employees to have two people focused on that within the people team is tremendous, but I think it's critical. So I would really look at investing in someone, if not a role, someone owning that responsibility because culture matters. It is part of the enjoyment, but do you have somebody who's focused on nurturing that when you can't lean on an office?
0: makes sense. Any burning final thoughts on digital first or things that we haven't talked about that we'd be remiss if we didn't spend a moment on?
1: Um I w- I would love to hear from others. Like it's such a it's such a personal thing to the company and your values and how you operate yet it's becoming more commonplace, so there's really great tools out there, um, and it's so much about your personality and the dynamic internally that you can play with to achieve elements of this. So I don't know if I have anything else to share, as much as I'd love to get thoughts and feedback, because there is there there isn't a roadmap on this, which is kind of fun.
0: Totally. I'm yeah. sure there are lots of people, by the way, who would love to take you up on that, and I'm sure we'll reach out. Right. Um, for for folks who maybe want to learn more about the things that you've talked about, whether it be specifically Hacker One's approach, uh, follow uh, anything that you or Hacker One is writing. Where would you suggest to to send them um, in order for them to learn a little bit more?
1: We have a blog, HackerOne.com, on our career site, so take a look at that. There's some good content. It's growing. Our executive team talks about it on LinkedIn. Um, it's a it's a rhythm uh, that we have as it relates to our communication channels, so follow us for more. But I, I can't point to anything as detailed as some companies have, but I would say those are a couple of
0: resources. Awesome, and then one other question. You mentioned, uh, we talked about Darren Murph being a great resource. Mm-hmm. Anybody else that you really look up to or respect in that regard that maybe folks should should look to if they're looking to learn more?
1: I'll be honest, that name is not, I have a name on the tip of my tongue, but it's not coming to mind, but there's a a handful of awards that they've launched over the past couple of years with innovators in the space. And I know if I were to go to LinkedIn right now, although I won't, you quickly find a couple of names, but there's some amazing people doing big things and at big companies, which is astounding to me because that's like moving the Titanic. So do a little Googling on some uh, recent awards in that space. You'll find some great names and I follow a lot of them.
0: Awesome. Well, Don, this is really great. I feel like there's a, a lot of topics here. They're like really, really important. I think the conversation we had about um, alignment and executive team and how do you actually back that up with relationship between people leader and uh, finance leader and some of the other things you've worked on are, are really instructive for operators that are thinking about how to do this. And So thank you for for sharing and being so transparent about how you think about this at, at HackerOne.
1: Happy to. This was fun. It's been a journey. We've got more to do, but it's nice to reflect on the past
0: two years. Oh, well, thank you so much for spending the time with me. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please also consider giving us a rating or leaving a review as that helps other listeners find the podcast. For more Flex Index content, including past episodes, our Flex Index newsletter, and monthly research reports, visit flex.scoopforwork.com. See you next time.